Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, this is Brett Amron and welcome to The Practice Podcast. And I'm Jeff Bast. We are excited to introduce our first guest speaker on the practice podcast and there really could be no other first speaker a newspaper reporter once wrote about this guy that he is quote the lawyer that lawyers go to when they find themselves in hot water oh without question without question whenever i'm in hot water with my kids i go over, oh oh you meant you meant lawyers when they're in trouble. I got you. Never mind. All right. This guy, although he doesn't look this old, he's been practicing more, more than 25 years. And his clients are, he is a lawyer. His clients are either lawyers or judges who are trying to remain lawyers or judges or law students who are trying to become lawyers or law firms who are trying to stay as law firms or they're in some kind of problem. He is an expert in compliance with the rules of ethics. He is, you know, he serves as the special counsel to our firm and general counsel to our firm. He is the chair of our firm's ethics, professional responsibility, and white collar practice. He's listed in Best Lawyers in America. He's AV rated. He's 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 just the best. He guy, is, we could go on for a long time before we even I, say I think this you guys. Should, we, you guys are very is. well. But, there he is. But perhaps most importantly, our guest speaker wrote a book called The Practice, Brutal Truths About Lawyers and Lawyering. So this podcast is named in honor of this great and honorable author. No, it's not. Brian <laughs> Tannebaum. If I may, I know we, we sort of are, are you know having a good time a little bit at the beginning because we have that kind of relationship between ourselves, but also with Brian. Really and honest, truly and honestly, Brian is the lawyer's lawyer, and it is an honor to have him in our office and having the benefit of his experience and expertise. And I'm so happy he's here today to, to, to sort of bring that out as well on this podcast. Uh, agreed. Well, thanks for having me, guys. We are excited to have you. Brian is... Uh, Perhaps the top ethics lawyer in the state and one of the top ethics lawyers in the country. He's also, I didn't neglect to mention that he's currently the chair of the Innocence Project of Florida. And he's perhaps well, most well known for his wine expertise. He is a certified sommelier. And we are all benefit beneficiaries of that truth expertise. I have tried more wine under Brian's tutelage than I have Otherwise, uh, and, I, and I, I tap his knowledge probably more than he prefers when <laughs> I walk into his office and peek in and say, hey, you got a white or a red recommendation I need? And then, you know, he gives me that kind of look like, oh, you poor, poor man. Well, you should ask me about law every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, occasionally I do that too. But anyway, we're very happy to have you here. And thank you for agreeing to sit down with us and and spend some time chatting on on a topic, one of the topics uh, that, you, number one, you're an expert on, number two, I know you enjoy talking about, that's well, a passion of yours, and that is how to deal with threatening, generally difficult opposing counsel, which also applies to clients as well. I, I think it's actually just how to deal with difficult 
people <laughs> in general. It's, I mean, sure. our focus is certainly client or clients and opposing counsel, and, and but it also could be judges and really anyone else <laughs> that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. So why don't we dive in and start the first sort of question I would throw at you, Brian, is what do you think are the most prevalent issues that arise with difficult opposing counsel? Well, thanks. I mean, first, let me say that when I first discussed this topic um, some years ago and it went into my book, it became the most popular topic of the book. This was the one thing I wrote about that I got the most feedback from, particularly from young lawyers, associates in law firms who were dealing with these issues. And what they're dealing with is not only the issue of opposing counsel, but how to handle it within their own firm. So, for example, if an associate is being given an assignment to handle something and they run into a difficult opposing counsel, it becomes a secondary part of what they're trying to accomplish. And so they have to deal with, well, do I go to my partner and discuss this? Should I handle it myself? Do I respond myself or do I run it by somebody and, and how do I deal with the, the emotional aspect of the fact that I'm just trying to deal with an extension or deal with some interrogatory or request for production or request for admission? And I'm dealing with this lawyer who seems to want to talk to me as if I don't know what I'm doing or I shouldn't be handling this type of work. So when, when it comes to difficult opposing counsel, I, I think there's basically three issues that come up all the time. Number one is unreasonable demands. I've always said that, you know, judges set deadlines, not lawyers. Lawyers can agree to certain things, but when it comes to setting deadlines, they're set by rules and they're set by courts. Uh, They're not set by lawyers. And lawyers should routinely be courteous in granting extensions and understanding what's going on in lawyers' lives. And and I always say, you know, the, the main reason I'm going to agree to an extension of time is because I'm going to need one. And one of the things that I think lawyers lose sight of is it's a two-way street. So that's the first issue. The second issue is the demeaning discourse. One thing I have found recently is judges really don't like hyperbole when it comes to writings that are being submitted, whether it's a letter, whether it's a motion. Lawyers, if they're emotionally involved with opposing counsel, will find themselves writing critical things in, in pleadings or letters that really don't deal with the facts of the case. And I think lawyers lose sight of the fact that other people are reading these documents, especially in today's day and age where everything is electronically filed and a lot of things end up on the internet. And we spend our days, sometimes, you know, we pop on the internet and there's some letter some lawyer wrote in Philadelphia and it's become all the rage because of how obnoxious it was. And then it makes, you know, the reputation of that lawyer go down. And I think, you know, when you're talking to other lawyers these days, you're not just doing it uh, in person. You're not just doing it on the phone. You're doing it through email and maybe text messaging or some other type of electronic so, communication. And the demeaning discourse becomes part of the record. So you're just saying hostile communications? Just I'm ta- yeah, When I'm you ta- say demeaning because that has a specific... Well, demeaning is, I've been doing this 25 years, kid. I've handled more cases than you'll ever handle. I've tried more cases. I knew your boss in law school. Just kind of going over the head of the lawyer that you're speaking to and making that lawyer feel like they're less than you are because maybe they haven't been practicing as long. Maybe they're not as experienced as you are. 
in the type of case that that's you know at issue. So the demeaning discourse is not about the facts of the case; it's about the actual lawyer, and it gets into the writing, and other people see it, and I just think it makes that lawyer look bad. And then the third issue is threats of, of ethics violations. I, I get these calls all the time from lawyers, particularly in civil matters, who say, this lawyer is doing this, you know, can I file a bar complaint or threatening to file a bar complaint over issues that really should be resolved between the parties. And so those are, I think, the three issues that mainly come up. So a couple things, and thank you for that. How do you deal with the client that comes into your office and says, you know, I need, I need somebody who's going to be super aggressive. I need you to be aggressive. And, you know, when you go back to that client and say, hey, you know, opposing counsel asked for a 30-day extension of time. It's routinely granted. Your client says, no, you can't agree to that. How, how, do you, how do you deal with a client who does that? So I frequently will get, in my representation of lawyers, a lawyer who comes in and says, I've been dealing with the bar and bar counsel hates me and I hate bar counsel and I want to go after bar counsel. And I will always say, well, who, who's the bar counsel? And I know most of them in Florida. Uh, there's not that many of them. And I get along with them. And so I will routinely say to that lawyer, well, I'm actually friends with him. Um, we, we Maybe we socialize a little bit. Maybe we've had a lot of cases together. I don't go after bar counsel or opposing counsel. I don't think that's a way to go. So I think the answer to your question is, I think, you have to tell the client at the initial consultation how you practice law. And I think lawyers don't do that because they're into, well, if I buy into my client's desire for aggression, I'm going to get the case. And that down the road is not going to benefit you. Uh, I will tell lawyers, listen, I give extensions of time. I respect vacations. I respect lawyers who have things to do with their kids. People get sick. They get flat tires. Things happen in life and they happen to me. And they're going to happen to you. And so we're not going to object to reasonable extensions of time. And we're not going to object to courtesies that are typical in litigation. And I'm not here to be your alter ego. If that doesn't work for you, then maybe you need to find another lawyer. But that's not the way to resolve this case. So getting to that and one other sort of area for me anyway on this on this topic uh, would be what would be your advice to attorneys who encounter these sorts of things? You know, unreasonable demands, demeaning discourse, threats of bar complaints. You know, what, what's what do you th- what would be your advice? You know, t- in order to uh, respond appropriately, right within the rules, and and obviously as, as appropriately to these kinds of actions. So you're talking about when they happen, like when Correct. opposing counsel sends an email at four forty five in the afternoon and says. These six things need to be on my desk by tomorrow morning at 9.30 sure. or I'm filing X, Y, Z. Yeah, or tw- I've been practicing, 20, like you said, 25 years. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, it gets very personal as as all of us have encountered or, you know, someone threatens a, threatens you with a bar complaint. So the typical interaction between people is counterintuitive to how you should handle these situations. Typically what happens is somebody yells at you, you yell at them. Somebody screams at you, you scream back at them. Somebody uses profanity with you, you use profanity with them. The main philosophy I think lawyers need to have, because understanding that your client and the other client may be in some emotional situation. They're breaking up. They're in some kind of a dispute. There's been a breach. Somebody owes somebody money, and they're upset. And you as the lawyer are not supposed to be emotionally attached to it. So 
what I always say to lawyers is you have to practice law the way you practice law. Don't ever practice law the way somebody else practices law. And so you mean, it, you mean don't adapt to their right. Don't go down not, in the gutter with them because you're just going to keep going lower and lower. And and we've all they seen go low, you stay high. That's right. We we've all seen the email chain. You know, and and somebody sends an email, and then then there's the elevation email, and then it just keeps going and going and going, and then it gets into personal attacks. I'm into the wait 24 hours. And sometimes you can't do that, but 24 hours these days may be three hours. I think one of the things about technology is that you train— Three hours is the new 24 hours? Well, it can be. I mean, because you train people about response time. What what do you mean, though? You're you're just talking about taking a break, a breather, before you respond emotionally, Right. right? So somebody is sending you an email, and you can tell they're hot. I mean, they're upset, and you know whatever you say right now is probably not your best. Right. So I always, you know, like to give people time out. You know, you come at me— you're not getting a response right away because that's what you want. You're hot right now. You're sending me something. You're going to wait. And you're probably going to wait overnight. And then I'm going to send some very kind, like, I received your email last night. I'm sorry you're you know upset about this. I'm not going to be you know responding to this demand this way. Why don't you call me or pick up the phone? I think that's that's an issue that's been lost in technology. Nobody Nobody picks up the phone anymore. It's all about what's the quickest way to get in somebody's quote-unquote inbox, and that is by sending them a text or sending them an email. One of the things I was taught years ago, just to sort of encapsulate this, I was taught years ago was never put anything in writing you wouldn't want on the front page of the paper. Uh, that would come out, right? Because inevitably, if you put something and you sent, now it's an email or back then it was a letter, just imagine that is going to be in front of a judge or plastered. Now today would be social media, but back then, you know, just the newspaper. And if you're okay with it, then send it. But if you're not, then don't. Well, just remember that, that back in the day, the transcript was a court transcript. And now a transcript is email. Or text. Right. We're not, you know, talking to people as much anymore. And all of our conversations are memorialized. And frequently, you'll get a motion filed in court. And attached to that motion is the last chain of emails between the two lawyers. Yep. And and you're thinking, they're thinking, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't say what I should have said. Or I used profanity. Or I attacked the other lawyer. You never want to be in a situation where your conversations become part of the public record. And today, most of our conversations are occurring in writing and they're there forever. Yeah. So your again, your recommendation is just take a breather before responding. Well, it's take a breather, but also don't respond at the level that the other side may be looking for. Right. If the other side's looking for a fight, don't give them a fight. If the other side's looking to to address something that is sensitive in the sense of if you, you know, go back and forth, it's just not going to get anywhere. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I'm not going to have this discussion on email. Um, I think you and I need to have a conversation either in person or over the phone. And so I think the way to address it is to change the trajectory of the conversation, both in tone and how it's done. Right. Of all of the things you just said, though, 
comment that resonated the most with me was the idea of just picking up the phone. So I, I love the idea, and you will use that too of of changing the you know the medium. If you're sending me a letter, I'm going to pick up the phone and call you, and that way, and automatically, I find that that disarms a lot of people because, in my experience, people are a lot tougher and meaner in writing than they are either in person or on the phone. Well, the other thing too is people are much more comfortable in writing. People will say things in writing that they won't say on the phone. And the opposite of that is when people are on the phone, they'll tend to have, you know, courtesies. You know, hey, how, how are you? How's everything? Are you going away for Thanksgiving or Christmas or, yep. you know, what's coming up? And, and you're kind of having a different sort of conversation than just here's my list of things that I need by tomorrow morning or I'm going to the judge. When you get on the phone, it's, listen, my kid's sick. I got this thing this afternoon. Can we put this off for two or three days? And I'll get you everything you want. We don't have to go to court. That sounds a lot different than here's my list. Let's get it done. Hmm. So, And you've been doing this for a long time, Brian. Do you think it's moving in the negative direction? Are things getting worse? I think it's getting much worse. Really? I, I, I think what's happened with technology, and, and I'll just go back. When I started practicing, we had email. But it was inner office email. And that was the only way that we And you email. are old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't, I had a beeper. Okay. <laughs> I, I had a beeper too. Uh, yeah, I, I had a cell phone, but cell phones didn't text. And they didn't have email and they didn't have apps and we didn't have social media. Okay. We get it. You're old. Okay. So <laughs> we had the chisel and the, you know. The, <laughs> the abacus behind right, you. Right. Exactly. exactly. But so... We communicated normally by, you know, maybe fax. We'd fax a letter or we'd mail a letter and we'd ask for a response within 10 days. <laughs> or a fax is a little different. You can get a response within an hour or something like that. But people were still typing. People still had typewriters. It wasn't word process, email, send it immediately from your, from your laptop. We didn't have laptops. We had desktops. So now what's happened is we are all trained that we can get an immediate response to anything we want, right? We can talk to anybody we want. We can look at the president of the United States talking in real time on the internet. And if we want to talk to opposing counsel, we don't have to pick up the phone and talk to a secretary and wait five minutes. We don't have to send a fax or a letter. We can just send a text or an email and, you know, I haven't heard from you in an hour. Where, where's my response? Mm -hmm. So we're all in that mode of we got to get a response right now. And it's causing people to demand that. And that's why I think you need to train people that you don't respond immediately, positive or negative. You just don't do it. Have the courts helped or hurt that, what you just explained, some of the judges and the courts, have they helped or hurt with that sort of different scenario? Well, I think the courts are in the same place. I mean, I've seen a judge issue a notice for a hearing in the morning for an afternoon hearing. Doesn't happen a lot, but I've seen it happen. And, and judges are also in the mode where they know that they can issue an order for something to happen and that it's on that lawyer's desk immediately. I mean, in Florida, they just took away the five-day rule for mail because they know everything is e-file. We don't need five days anymore. We, we need five seconds because it's sitting on our desk. So I think everybody is a part of this issue in the sense of because we can get immediate responses we're now demanding them, and it's causing people to, to just be crazy and not want to wait because they don't have to. Is there something we can do to, to sort of moderate that a bit? Well, 
I've said for a long time when it comes to social media, for example, that the way you conduct yourself offline should mirror the way you conduct yourself online. So you should behave kind of in the same way. I've always said, for example, you know, Twitter, when people say to me, well, I don't understand what Twitter is. I say, well, Twitter is the great American cocktail party or the Mm -hmm. world's cocktail party. Everyone's just kind of talking to each other about different things. And that's how we operate in person. We go into a room. Hey, how are you? My name is Brian. What do you do for a living? You know, what are you interested in? I, I think the way that we need to deal with technology with lawyers is to just everybody slow down a little bit. Everybody go back just a little bit. Give people 24 hours. We often get this. You get the email, you get the text, and you get the phone call. Because people are like, did you get my email? Did you get my text? I'm calling your office now to make sure you got my email. But what about, you know, it's like nobody's like, let me just send this email and wait a few hours to get a response. I think everyone just needs to take a step back and communicate in the sense that we're not all just looking at our screens 24 hours a day, even though we kind of are. You know, if I get an email, I get a vibration in my pocket or on my desk or some little thing flashes but maybe I'm doing something else. Maybe we're all doing something else and we don't need to be responding immediately to all of these messages. With some of that setting expectations. So I think you can set expectations with, for example, a client. If a client emails you at 10 o'clock at night and you respond right away, again, talking about circumstances that are not emergencies, we all understand that emergencies happen and we got to deal with those. But if a client sends you an email at 10 o'clock at night and you respond five minutes later, you've now set an expectation that I respond 24 hours within the hour or whatever it is. So is what part of what you're saying is setting realistic expectations like globally, but I think we as individuals can do it on our own by telling clients or telling opposing counsel, look, I'll respond to you, but I don't check email 24 seven. I check email certain times of the day or whatever it is. I have a procedure. This goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. And I think lawyers fail to do this with clients particularly. And, and I'll talk a little bit about opposing counsel. When I'm at an initial consultation, I sit down with my clients and and understand my clients, a lot of them are, are very upset. They're in a situation where they may be Uh, facing a license suspension or not getting their license or something else. And so- And they're lawyers. And they're lawyers, but but they want to know, like, when when can I talk to you? And and so I always say in the beginning, listen, here's generally how I work. Monday mornings are not good. Don't don't call me on a Monday morning. I'll go through the week and I'll say, listen, the best time to reach me is generally in the afternoon. If it's an emergency, you can always reach out to me. And sometimes I may reach out to you on the weekends. But generally what I'd like you to know is that I work from basically eight to six in the office or around the office and at home I work at night. If you need to reach me by an emergency, you can text me or call me or whatever, but here's my secretary's name and here's her number, her direct number. And so I let them know and and it puts them at ease at that point. So they know, oh no, no, I'm not gonna call you all the time. That's what they always say. (laughs) I'm not gonna call you all the time. And I go, no, 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 something may happen. You're gonna call me all the time and that's fine. But if you let them know your schedule, your general schedule, you know, listen, I have kids, I have a wife, I have things that go on at night and on the weekends, but I can generally be available if I need to. I think that's important. With opposing counsel, I had this happen to me one time a long time ago. I got a case and I got a letter from opposing counsel. I had never seen it before and it upset me initially because I thought he was being condescending. And it said, listen, I want to tell you how I operate. And it was this whole list of like things I do and don't do. And I was thinking like, are you telling me how to practice law? 
And then I, I sat back for a minute and I thought, no, this is kind of interesting. Like he's just saying, look, this is how I work and, and this is what I do and this is what I don't like and this is what I like. And I'd never seen it again, but I thought it was just an interesting way to communicate with me or with any opposing counsel just to say, listen, this is how I practice law. You know? So you've been an advocate, uh, written some articles and have spoken on the topic of mental health and mental health awareness and, and getting treatment for lawyers, which is an issue, right, for the practice. How has the technology and some of the discourse, what impact, if any, has it had on lawyers uh, generally? Well, and this may be an unpopular opinion, but I, I'm not in the belief that all of a sudden over the last decade, lawyers have developed mental health issues that are completely medical. You can't tell me it has nothing to do with the speed of the practice, the competition in the practice, and the way lawyers are expected to conduct themselves in terms of response time. That drives people crazy. Just like really bad traffic creates road rage situations. It's the same thing in the practice of law. And I firmly believe that the expectations on lawyers has driven competition and response time to the point that it's driving lawyers crazy. Lawyers can no longer wake up at, you know, 630 in the morning, get in the shower and, you know, have breakfast with their family and then leisurely drive into the office and get in the office and here's all my messages and let me start making my calls and going to court and writing my pleadings. It's, you know, I wake up and I've got 17 messages. So before I get in the shower, before I talk to my wife, before I say hi to my kid, I got to like look at this and make sure there's nothing I missed. And so we're constantly in this mode of, did I miss something? Is there something I need to do right now? Did I file that thing? Did it go through? Did I get the confirmation? And so it's driving lawyers crazy. I don't know that there's a, a solution, but I think everybody, again, like Jeff was asking me, everyone needs to just kind of take a step back and maybe slow down the response time and maybe not file that pleading at 8.30 at night when, when there's no reason to do it. You can file it tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning. I think we're using e-filing portal 24 hours a day and people are filing things at odd hours and you're getting dinged and you're like, well, do I need to read this right now? So I think the mental health issues with lawyers are not solely that lawyers are disclosing that they have medical issues. It's that the speed of the practice is driving lawyers crazy. Just to follow up on that and thank you for that. What I see in terms of litigation and bankruptcy, right, is clients come in and they say, when, when can we, when can this be over? You know, I'm sure you hear it as well from lawyer. What, how, how fast is this going to take? How long is this going to take? And what we see because of, you know, just generally the nature of our practices, it seems like it takes longer to get things done. And yet on a day-to-day -day basis, we seem to be under more pressure to move things along. It seems to me that there's a bit of an irony there. Right. Right. We're moving quicker, but not faster. Yeah. We're not getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. right. We're just day to day. It's right. sort of like the days are long, but the years are short. You know, I mean, it's just, 
it's one of those things. And so I think we have to set expectations with clients on how long things are going to take generally. And so maybe that will help alleviate some of the day to day, at least on us. And then, you know, dealing with, as you said, with opposing counsel and setting expectations. Well, I I think volume has increased. And I think what's happening, and I, I think you bring up a good point, and that is, you know, it used to be to file like a lawsuit, you would drafted and redrafted and then you'd finally do it and you'd walk it over to the well, clerk's office and getting file that it. stamp from the clerk was, was awesome <laughs> right and now you could file you know 10 complaints a day i mean it's really very easy from your couch it's not a difficult thing so there's more going on yeah. and lawyers are finding that they cannot accomplish everything so i frequently have cases where i call opposing counsel and they're like, listen, I, I, I can't get to this right now because I have all these other cases that I'm dealing with. And so um, it affects clients tremendously. I tell clients all the time, I know you have two questions that you haven't asked me. Number one, how much is this going to cost? And number two, how long is it going to take? The first question I can answer a lot better than the second question because I'm not in control of how long things take. I can tell you what I'm going to do, but I can't tell you what the other side is going to do. And, and it may result in something taking a lot longer. And the anxiety is always there. Um, and even with technology, you know, you could email opposing counsel and go, hey, are you going to respond to this? Are we going to work this out? Or what are we going to do? And you're not going to get the answer you want. And silence is a very complicated thing for clients. They don't like it. You know, some of them will say, well, I haven't heard from you. That must be a good thing. It's not really good because they want they want finality quickly. So how do you address that? I think you have to explain kind of what I just said, and that is, listen, I'm I'm one player in the system. In my system, there's opposing counsel, there's a judge, there's witnesses, there's documents, there's all kinds of things. So I, I'm going to do what I'm going to do to move this along as much as I can but I may run into a situation that's very typical, which is the other side has you know many more cases than I have, and they just can't get to your case. And it's not a bad thing. Um, it'll eventually resolve, but we can't control it, and you just have to accept it as much as you don't like it. And I tell them, I don't like it, but I don't have control over it. And you have to, I think you have to constantly tell clients that and you have to just communicate with them more often right especially when nothing's going on right well it's really about what we were saying before setting expectations right so if you communicate if you let your client know this is going to be the process then they go into it with eyes wide open right and same thing with opposing counsel i think that's really what you said about opposing counsel you got the letter from the one guy who told you this is how we do it he was setting expectations right. And so I guess let's, as we get close to uh, wrapping this up, is there any parting words you would leave for a young lawyer who's just starting off in the practice and maybe feels like they don't have the leverage to dictate to clients? You know, they're trying to get clients. They're trying to persuade them to hire them. They're not saying, hey, this is how I do it, take it or leave it. So any advice to the young lawyers who are just getting started in this practice as to how to deal with these challenging issues? Well, I think, first of all, we have to remember that there are different ways to communicate. And one of the things that I always find with lawyers is that they don't use the initial consultation to their advantage. The initial consultation for most lawyers is, am I going to get the case? What can I say to sell myself? And, and I'm not saying that lawyers lie, but I'm saying that lawyers are remiss to be very honest with clients. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know how long this is going to take. 
you know, but let me let me tell you some things that maybe some other lawyers aren't going to tell you. I find that clients appreciate that. I find that in terms of dealing with people, we don't pick up the phone anymore. Yeah. And that is a lost art. Yeah. And I can tell you story after story of cases where I got some correspondence that just looked ugly and, it, and I didn't like it. And I just picked up the phone and had a completely different conversation. And I know that with the younger generation, I hate to say the younger generation, the younger generation, they're attuned to emails, texts, and social media, and the phone is an annoyance. You know, there was somebody who once said, like, now when your cell phone rings, what's the first thing you do? You get annoyed. Who's calling me? You know, you say, oh, my, look, I have a phone. It's ringing. Somebody's <laughs> calling me. Now it's like, who's calling me? Why, why can't you send me a text? Why can't you email me? Right. So I think we go back to that. So, so, so the advice is to consider an initial phone call, okay? And that deals with clients and, and with opposing counsel. Delay your responses to emails. Don't be responding all the time to everything you're getting. Obviously, don't forget your written communications will be published somewhere, somehow. Don't ever raise the volume with people. Always try to lower the volume. Never lower the bar. Never go down to the level of something you see that you don't like. And kind of along those lines is always maintain your level of practice. Because it's going to be seen by some mediator, some judge, somebody is going to see the way that you react to what's going on, and it, it's going to help you because then the focus is going to be on the other person. Why are you behaving that way? It all boils down to the practice. Wise words from the author of The Practice. The practice. Brian Tannenbaum, thank, thank you. you so very much for your time today. We appreciate it. This was educational. Thanks, guys. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.